Welcome to this message from Port Life Church. Our goal is to bring life to the Port community and beyond. And our hope is that this message will inspire and encourage you today. Good morning. Wouldn't mind just starting this morning with a prayer, if that's okay with you. (laughs) Father, just thank you so much for the opportunity to be here this morning. And Holy Spirit, I'm just very mindful that the topic I'm sharing on today, to some maybe that brand new, and to others it may be something they've heard many, many, many times. But Holy Spirit, I pray that in each heart you would help to join the dots, you would help to make the connection between their life and your life and what you're um, requiring of us, Lord. And so God, have your way today. Please use my words to do your will in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, part two of our Purpose Driven Life series. Last week, as Josh mentioned, he spoke about the meaning of life or the purpose of life. And I would strongly encourage you, if you weren't here last week, to jump online, to jump onto YouTube, go to Port Life Church, or to jump on our church app and either watch it or listen to that message, or you can even read the notes. And there's even questions on there to consider and scriptures and everything. So it's pretty cool. And so I would encourage you to do that. Maybe you could even gather together with maybe one or two other people and and have a look at that together or listen together and a bit of a chat about it. That would be really, really great because it was such a great message and certainly a message not just relevant for people at church but relevant to everybody, which is what we do try to do every week, by the way. Um, But one of the things Josh said last week, he quoted someone, and I'm going to start with the same quote, and I'm actually quoting from an atheist, which you don't generally start a sermon with. Um, but Josh quoted from Bertrand Russell, who is a, a well-renowned atheist who lived a while ago. Um, but he said this, interestingly, unless you assume the existence of a God, the question of the meaning and purpose of life is irrelevant. That's, that's a pretty shocking comment, isn't it, really? It's kind of like he's ticked off with people who, who don't believe in God but are still trying to make life meaningful and purposeful. It's like, guys, forget it. There's no such thing. If there is no God, if we are not here on purpose for a purpose because of divine creation, intelligent design, etc., forget it. Just do what you want. Because ultimately, have fun while you're here because that's all there is and it will never make sense. Scary. But that is the way that many people live and our society is reflective of that, I guess. But the good news is that we do have a creator. God has created us on purpose and with a purpose or for a purpose. And even better, God actually has revealed that purpose to us. It wouldn't be very fair if he had a purpose and then just left us to blunder in the darkness, hopefully somehow we can land on it. But God actually reveals his purpose to us in the Bible. Romans chapter 11 verse 36 simply says this, For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. And this is kind of where Josh landed last week, that we exist to glorify God. We exist to bring him glory. Now, again, I am very mindful of the society and culture in which we live, as are you. And it's becoming seemingly more individualistic, more anti-authority. And so my sneaking suspicion is that when we hear the message, your purpose is to glorify God, that that doesn't sound too exciting. It kind of seems like a a recipe for misery because surely it's all about me doing what I want. It's all about me, you know, having fun and, and just, you know, to hell with everyone else as long as I get what I want. Isn't that how we live today or many live today? 
But the reality is, what we're talking about is not a recipe for a miserable life. It's actually the exact opposite. It's only through being vitally connected with the source of life that we can truly live. Outside of that connection, a vital connection with God, a genuine life-giving connection with God, we are basically living while we die. Think about a, a tree or even a, a plant, cut off a, a branch or a stem with some flowers on it, and when you first cut it off, does it immediately look dead? It doesn't, does it? It still looks alive. And it will look alive for a little while. And you can actually extend the process of keeping it looking okay by trimming the ends and putting it in water and so on. But at the end of the day, that thing now has a use-by date. And that is like us living disconnected from God. And by the way, that's the default position of all people. We are here on this planet, eating, breathing, sleeping, doing all the things that Josh mentioned last week. But at the end of the day, if we have no vital connection to God, we are living while we die. And so Jesus came in order to remedy that problem. He came to give us real life and to give us eternal life. And it's only through accepting him into our life that our deepest needs can be truly met. In other words, all the things that you and I, even as a Christian sometimes, but certainly when we're not a Christian, all the things that we wear ourselves out trying to get are freely given in Christ. The love we crave, the acceptance, the security, the commitment, the peace, and yes, even the purpose or sense of significance that we are desperate for is only truly found in Christ. And that's the reason we can recognise that today a call to glorify God is not some staid, starchy recipe for misery, but it's actually extremely good news. Now, there are many, many specific ways that we can glorify. Oh, sorry, I'll step back a little bit. The good news is also that God has wonderful plans for us. Okay, God is not stiff, starchy and, and removed from us and mean and boring and trying to ruin our lives. He's actually the exact opposite. He loves us. He delights in us. He has a plan and a purpose for us. He has a wonderful future for us. And he actually wants us to help us discover and live in that amazing purpose. And ultimately, as all that takes place, God is glorified. So that's the way it is. And there are many specific ways, as I mentioned, that we can glorify God. But as Josh mentioned at the start again, we're kind of narrowing it down and summarising it with five things that we can do. Five purposes. And today we're looking at purpose number one. And I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 12, verses 28 to 30 from the New Living Translation. So a teacher of religious law came up to Jesus and he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important one? And Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel. He's quoting from Deuteronomy. He says, the Lord, our God, is the one and only God. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And so of all the things that Jesus could have said, 613 commandments in the Old Testament, again, some you would be very aware of, maybe you've heard of the Ten Commandments, they're kind of like the big ones. Well, this is the number one of the big ones. Okay, so Jesus narrows it all down. He says, look, love God. That's number one. 
And so it really just means this, that God created us to love us and all he really wants, his prime desire for us is that we would love him back. And there's a word for that and it is simply worship. And so today purpose number one is about worshipping God. Now what is worship? Many of us perhaps have a very narrow definition of what worship is. Maybe some of us don't even know what worship is. Maybe you haven't heard the word before. But in church circles, generally worship can get narrowed down a little bit. Maybe it's to just attending church. We're going to a worship service. We're going to worship God on Sunday morning. And so that's people's understanding of worship. Or maybe it's about a part of the worship service, the singing. Or maybe it's even a bit narrower. Maybe it's about certain songs. You know, generally the slower ones kind of get labelled the worship songs as opposed to the praise songs. <laughs> Go figure. Crazy, aren't we? <laughs> and the reality is those things can all be worship. Going to church can absolutely be an expression of worship. Singing, fast or slow songs, can absolutely be an expression of worship. But it also may not be. Because I might be an awesome singer. I might be a worship leader. But I might be totally oblivious to God and feeding off of you guys for acceptance and love and getting a sense of significance and all the things I should be getting from God. I'm actually feeding from the congregation. And so that's not worship. Other people might be worshipping while I'm doing that, but I'm not. <laughs> and so worship, simply put, is really just recognising and responding to worthiness, to value, seeing the value in something and responding accordingly. We've all done it. We've all worshipped. Every last one of us here today, whether it's the first time in church or not, we have all worshipped something or someone, haven't we? We've seen value and we're willing to pay a price to get it. We've devoted our mind, our heart, our will, our actions, perhaps, towards demonstrating value to that thing. I mean, I'm, I love listening to the football and just love listening to the worship that happens as the commentators talk about this player or that player or that move or this great legend or what. And it's just, it's, it's downright worship. It is absolute worship of the highest order. I mean, if church was half as passionate, if we as Christians were half as passionate as we talk to our friends about Jesus, the world would probably be already saved by now, all of everyone. <laughs> so we've all worshipped. We've all sought after and lived for things and, and given credit where it's due for many, many things. But that's not what we're here about today. We're actually here specifically about worshipping God. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says, Because of God's great mercy to us, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God, dedicated to his service and pleasing to him. This is the true worship that you should offer. And so it's kind of like a revelation of God's love. His goodness, his kindness, his mercy, his compassion, his grace, whatever you want to talk about, leads to true worship. It moves me beyond mere admiration to action. Mark chapter 12 and verse 30, which we've already looked at, but Jesus spoke about loving heart, soul, mind and strength. It's kind of like a whole person love response involving our thoughts, our feelings, our choices and our abilities. And I just want to sort of unpack that a little bit this morning in case we do have a bit of a narrow mindset about what worship actually is. And maybe we think, you know, worship is something I do on Sunday or maybe worship is something I do in the car, when the radio, or when the maybe Spotify is playing or maybe 
other times that are specifically dedicated, but we just want to have a look at the breadth of what God is calling us to today because it's our number one purpose. Psalm 139. So we're talking about focusing our worship on God or our attention on God as worship. Psalm 139 verse 1 to 3 says, You have looked deep into my heart, Lord, and you know all about me. You know when I'm resting and you know when I'm working. You notice everything I do and everywhere I go. Now, again, depending on where you sit today, that could be very comforting or very disturbing. (laughs) But it's intended to be very, very comforting. We are never out of God's thoughts. We're never out of his heart, out of his mind. He loves us absolutely. He takes an interest in us. And again, that's kind of what he's calling us to. He would love that response from us. He's very conscious of us, conscious of us. But our tendency, well, if you're anything like me anyway, my tendency is to be conscious of myself rather than God. Romans chapter 8 verse 7 says, Focusing on God is the opposite of, sorry, on self, is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely ignored in self, ignores, uh, absorbed in self, ignores God and ends up thinking more about self than God. So if I'm pushing God off to the side in my thinking and I'm at the centre of my own thought world, my life is becoming about my desires. It's about my resources and what I can do for them to improve my life. It's about my capacities. It's about my reputation. It's about my goodness or perhaps my badness. And the result of all that mental energy going into and around me as opposed to God is stress, worry, dissatisfaction and ultimately sin. In another translation of that verse, it talks about the sinful mind being hostile to God. It doesn't please God and it's impossible to do so. And so when we are self-absorbed, we're missing the mark that God has for our lives. So Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. Find a quiet, secluded place so that you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply, as honestly and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you'll begin to sense his grace. And Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, You will keep, this is talking about God, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, whose thoughts are fixed on you. And so there's so many things that can cause me to think about God. I have a good day. I can be thankful to God. If I'm out enjoying a ride or a walk, I can just see his creation and I can be astounded at his creativity, his artistry, his intelligence. We think about anything. We think about a, a tree, a tree. Everything, everything, by the way, on this planet, is on this world and even beyond the world is designed to bring glory to God. Like a rock can bring glory to God. An ant can bring glory to God. A tree can bring glory to God. If we, if we are rightly connected to God, if we have a good, a, a, a right worldview, and we understand that everything comes by God, from God and is for God and for us, well then anything can cause me to step back in wonder or it can t- cause me to be thankful, grateful. I mean a tree. A tree is 
bringing glory to God on so many levels. I mean, it can be part of a beautiful landscape that inspires awe. I mean, by the way, the Bible actually says that we are without excuse. When we look at nature, you know, some people say, oh, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God, there's no evidence for him. The Bible says liar. It says that we deliberately put aside the knowledge of God. We make a choice not to believe in God because it's not convenient for us. We choose something else and then we try to produce theories that might support our idea of no God. But in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, it says, no, sorry, all of creation speaks about God. It actually unveils his divine character and his power. Because when we look at an ant, for example, a little insignificant ant, we see incredible design. We see amazing intelligence. We see amazing complexity. And we have a choice. We can say, wow, that was lucky that that thing evolved. Or we can say, wow, God, that, that is incredible. The most, the simplest living organ, organism really is just so incredibly, incredibly complex. And then when we consider that those simple living organisms are able to reproduce themselves, I mean, think about man's greatest technological achievement. I don't know what it be. What, what would it be? Would it be maybe going to the moon or into space or... You know, but how much money, time and effort and intelligence and design goes into producing something that's going to take a person to space and bring them back safely? And yet, it is helpless. <laughs> it is hopeless. It cannot reproduce itself. If it gets in trouble, it's – unless there's someone there to help it get out of trouble, it's – you know, I mean, I know artificial intelligence is a thing that's becoming increasingly popular. But the reality is it doesn't happen by accident. That's the point. <laughs> It proves that complex things need a more complex mind and, and system behind it to support it. That is God. stands behind the whole universe. And so when we see a tree or when we see an animal, when we look at nature and we're astounded by its complexity and its diversity and all that sort of stuff, we're going, whoa, Lord, you are amazing. You're mind blown. Mind blown. And so when I choose to reflect on that, when I see a beautiful scene and I choose to reflect on God's power, his ability, his complexity, when I reflect on my own life and maybe some of the challenges that he's brought me through and I think about his kindness and his care or maybe on the lives of others that I know, when I think about his will, what is it that pleases you, God? And then I think about my own desires and I submit my desires to his will. And say, Lord, I don't really understand why you would ask me to do that. But I trust you more than I trust myself. What I'm doing in that moment is I'm placing a greater value on God than myself. I'm actually demonstrating his worth in my mind. When I contemplate his purposes, when I contemplate his future plans, and I'm encouraged and strengthened by that, and faith and hope begins to bubble away inside, it happens because I'm worshipping God with my mind. So that's the first thing. Let's worship God with them. You don't have to be in church to do this. You can do this anywhere, anytime. I would challenge you next time you're walking down the beach or going for a drive in the hills or just sitting in the backyard or whatever it is, just have a look around and you'll see the awesomeness of God everywhere. Secondly, expressing our affection to God is worship. Hosea, Hosea chapter 6, verse 6 says, I don't want your sacrifices, I want your love. 
I don't want your offerings. I want you to know me. The heart of God, like the context here is that people were just going through their religious motions. They were doing the stuff, attending up at the services, paying the money, killing the animals, doing all that sort of stuff that they thought, well, that's what God wants, doesn't he? So I don't want that. I mean, that's necessary at a level because you need to cover your sins for a season. But what I really want is you. I want you heart and soul. And God has broken the ice in this whole relational standoff that we have. You know, he's made the depth of his, known, of his love known through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And he just wants us to respond in kind. I mean, there's nothing lackadaisical or mediocre or half-hearted about what Jesus did. I mean, Jesus was in boots and all. His passion, his love, his compassion drove him to the cross and ultimately beyond. And he did it freely. He made a choice. He wasn't strong-armed into doing it. He did it because he loved us, heart and soul. And so that's what God's calling of us. And again, our concept of heart and soul when it comes to worship might be very narrow. I mean, some people are very expressive in their love for God and you know, their worship of God. Um, and there's reasons for that. Maybe it's just because of the way God made them to be, because some people are more reserved and some people are more outgoing. And so those that are more outgoing are probably going to find it easier to be more expressive in a public environment like this. But then there's also some people who are more aware of what God has done for them. And I think of Mary who went into a, walked into a house of Pharisees when Jesus was there and she is crying all over Jesus and then she's getting his feet wet and so then she kneels down and wipes his feet with her hair and then pours some perfume on and, and the guys are just horrified like what? crazy woman is this what ridiculous demonstration is this surely Jesus must know what type of woman this is and then Jesus tells a little calls them to account and he just sort of finishes off by saying those who have received much love much and she knew the depth of her depravity and her sin she knew the distance between her and God she knew that unless God made the first move, she was finished. And she sensed in her heart that this was God making the first move in Christ. And she responded wholeheartedly, held absolutely nothing back. And so sometimes it's temperament, sometimes it's just a revelation of what God has done in any given moment that can compel us to worship. But I know that many people are not necessarily expressive. And I don't want you to feel intimidated or beaten up by maybe those that are more expressive or maybe have had a brilliant encounter with God that morning before they came to church. Again, temperament comes into it, maybe our upbringing, maybe you don't know what it was. To, to Maybe you've never experienced affection and tenderness and kindness just for its own sake because of who you are. And so you can come to church and it can be quite foreign to you to have to express yourself to this unseen God. Maybe in the past you have tried to express your love to somebody and maybe you were rejected and it's hard to sort of summon up the courage to go again. Because, you know, all these people seem to be enjoying themselves and, and God's obviously accepting them, but can he really accept someone like me or am I just setting myself up for disappointment? Maybe you just don't know 
God well enough yet. And again, if you're here and don't really know and have got all these questions running through your head, it is so awesome to have you with us. And I just encourage you, keep coming, keep asking questions, keep watching. As, as crazy as it may look or sound at times, there is method to our madness and generally it flows from this idea that we have a revelation of how good God is. God is not the God of so many people's imaginations or even of so many religions throughout the world, a God who is harsh and angry and unforgiving and aloof and demanding and scary and impossible to believe. There's no good news in that God. But the true God, it's awesome. And so I would encourage you, if you are kind of coming to church week in, week out, and, and even, even whether you're at home with God and you're just not an expressive person but you feel like you would like to express your love to God more, maybe just start with exercising your ability to choose and just start with thanking him for something that you know he has done. Maybe it's just thank you, Lord, that you came and lived and died that I might have life. Just, just begin the process. Don't wait for your feelings. I think so often we can make the mistake of waiting for our feelings to motivate us to pray or to worship or to read our Bible or to whatever it might be. And I say, no, no, if we wait for our feelings, some of us may never get there. But the good thing is we're not just creatures dictated to by our instincts. We are created in the image of God. We are unique in the sense that we have a choice in the matter. We have a free will and we can exercise it. So even if the feels aren't there, I mean, I, I, you know, you might, some of you may think that I'm a bit expressive in worship. I'm really not compared to some. Um, but <laughs> I'm, I'm really not. But I do love worship and, I, and, and it is something, I, you know, I've been there in church when I've stood there like, like a deer in the headlights, scared, wondering how come all these people seem so excited and I've, I've just like I could never do that. I feel like, you know, kind of something inside saying, oh, I'd love to be able to sing a bit, actually out loud. I'd love to be able to just express myself a little bit more freely and maybe, you know, there's some stuff bubbling inside but I'm just too self-conscious or whatever. But just start, just by, just by choosing to do something. Maybe, maybe you, you've never sung in church but maybe just make the choice. Today I'm going to sing. Even if it's quiet, I'm going to sing. Maybe... And again, I'm not telling you what you have to do. I'm just saying if there's something stirring inside that, that you want to do, if you want to be the person that raises your hands or gets a little bit excited or maybe jumps around a little bit or, or talks freely to people about Jesus and are somehow feeling constrained by fear or worry of rejection or looking silly and all that sort of stuff, talk to God about it. Talk to him about it. Make the choice to do something. Is this making sense? Choose to express your desire to love him. Say, Lord, you know me, God. I actually do love you. People around me might be asking the questions about that. <laughs> but I want, my, I want my external expressions to catch up with what's going on internally because internally I am super thankful. I am super grateful. I am super excited, super excited about loving you. But I'm still just a bit freaked out by these people or my temperament or my past and all that sort of stuff. Lord, please help me to get past that. I want to be able to express you. I want to be passionate about you. I want to be zealous for you in a way that is totally in line with and appropriate with who you've made me to be. And that's going to look different for everybody. I mean, Josh Poyser, Emily Jackus over here, they're probably always going to look different in the way they do things. Just the way God made them. That's cool. God is not asking any person to be crazy and to check in their minds at the door and just come in here and be stupid. 
He's not asking you to do that. He's just saying, be consistent with what's going on on the inside. Express your passion, just as Jesus expressed his passion for us. You know, it gets easier. The more you get to know God, the first time you come, I don't expect anyone to get excited about God the first time they walk through those doors. In fact, I, I remember my dad saying when he first went to church, he was kind of intrigued. when He went, he came, he went late deliberately and he snuck in the back. He listened to the preacher and he thought, hmm, that kind of makes sense. I might come back and see what they're going to do next week. So he deliberately came 20 minutes after the service started when the worship would be singing, uh, singing would be finished. And again, was a little bit intrigued by what was going on. And over the course of his life, my dad became a passionate worshipper of Jesus. His inhibitions went as he began to see more and more and more the beauty and the splendor and the wonder of this God that we're called to serve. But he didn't start there. But it's where he ultimately ended and, and, and is continuing in. So God doesn't want you to be crazy. He just wants you to be a freer version of what you are, okay? So in other words, if you go to the footy, no inhibitions. Maybe you come to church and you look like Mr. or Mrs. Stayed. You know, there's a conflict there. And maybe God just wants to free you up a little bit in that whole area of expressing your love to him. We'll leave that one. That might be a little bit uncomfortable for some. But there's no pressure. Seriously, no pressure here. It's about what God is saying to you. If you're feeling the pressure inside, don't worry about what we're saying. What we're saying doesn't matter what we think. It does not matter what we think. I thank God that there are many different expressions in this church, and it should always be that way because there's many different expressions of humanity in this church. But it's not one size fits all. Please do not take that from me. I'm just saying if God's calling you to do something, just, we're going to have a, a bit of time worshipping later on in song. And maybe it's an opportunity just to step out of your comfort zone a little bit because it's in doing that you're saying, God, you are worth more to me than my reputation right now. You are worth more to me right now than my fear. You are worth more to me, etc., etc. All right, thirdly, using my abilities for God is worship. This is about loving God with all of our strength. You've heard the saying, action speaks louder than words. I think this is a, certainly true. Um, and those we truly love in life do get access to our abilities and strengths, don't they? Now, God doesn't need me to kill spiders for him. He doesn't need me to lift things for him. He doesn't need me to fix things for him. He doesn't need me to cook things for him or clean things for him, etc., etc. So how does this apply? Well, I guess, you know, there's a sense in which those that God loves as well maybe need some of those things doing, so I can certainly help there. If I do it for God. But it doesn't, certainly doesn't mean that I need to join a monastery. It certainly doesn't need that I need, mean that I need to become a missionary or that I need to become a worship leader, thankfully for all of you. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 says this, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as though you were working for the Lord and not for people. Now, the context there is slavery. He's talking about slaves and masters in that particular thing, all right? So it's probably worth keeping that in mind. Okay, he's saying if you're a slave, hey, treat your master like God. Work for him like he's God. Well, that doesn't sound very fair in our present-day society when it's all about narcissists and, you know, all that sort of stuff. But who are we serving? Who are we living for? We have an opportunity to demonstrate our faith and show how much God is worth by sucking it up and saying, Lord... You are so worth it to me. 
that I'm going to honour you in the way I serve this person that may or may not be treating me well. We can stress out about worrying. Hmm, what's a spiritual activity and what's an unspiritual activity? The reality is, as far as God's concerned, if he's at the centre of it, if he's the motivator for it, it's all spiritual activity. Regardless how unspiritual it may appear to us initially. So let's not stress about that. It's not what we do. It's always about who we're doing it for. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 in the message just says, take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Romans chapter 6, verse 13 says, give yourselves completely to God since you've been given new life. Now, again, if I'm offended by that initially, give myself completely, oh, come on, don't you know I've got work to go to, I've got a family. So no, you're just missing the point. Just, just see God in everything and through everything. And, again, this is where if I exercise my mind and I take time to study the Bible, if I take time to reflect, I look at creation and I reflect again what it actually took for God to create that and how that speaks of his vastness and power and all that sort of stuff. Suddenly, this new life, these, these things become motivators for me. I don't, I don't need to have any sense of resentment, even though I live in a culture that's all about me and, and you know, all about anti-authority and, and people are getting shredded left, right and centre for being too demanding and all that sort of stuff. And yet we have a God who seems on the face of it very demanding. But if we think that, it's only because we haven't really grasped what it is to have a new life. We haven't really grasped what it is that this God wants to save me from doing all the things that I'm doing to make my life better. You know, why do we spend all our money doing certain things? Why do we spend all our energy certain? Why do we pretend we're someone we're not and wear ourselves out with all that? Why do we do it? Because we are desperate for love. We are desperate for acceptance. We are desperate for purpose and significance. All of those things we are desperate for, they are ours. In Christ, given freely, if we will only receive it. And when we get a revelation of that, it's so easy to just begin to hand things back to God, to see him here, to see him there, to say, Lord, not really loving the thought of this, but for you, anything, God. It all becomes an expression of worth to him. So worship that pleases God is just focusing my attention on him. It's just expressing my affection for him and it's using my abilities for him. Wherever I might be found, whatever day of the week it is, whatever season it might be, however I'm received, that doesn't affect my connection with God. We'll all worship something. And I guess my question, my challenge as we finish is like, what's, your, what's the primary thing you're worshipping right now? What has most of your mind What has most of your heart and soul? What is getting most of your abilities right now? Hey, look, maybe it's work. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's sport. Maybe it's hobbies. Hey, look, that's the truth sets us free. If we acknowledge that, we can begin to make adjustments. Like I said, all the things that we worship are really just our attempts to meet the needs that God has already and will only ever meet in Christ. Let's not miss our primary purpose. 
We're here to glorify God. And the first way that we do that is through worshipping God. There are many things that compete for our heart, our soul, our mind and our strength. But there's only one who's worthy of having first place in our lives. And he just loves it. He is delighted. He is pleased. It brings a smile to his heart when we actually give it to him. When we surrender to him, life begins to make sense. Just going to leave it on that. Father, thank you so much for all that you've done. It started with plans and purposes. You thought of us before you even created this world, Lord. And in your economy, there are no accidents. Even if we weren't expected by our very own parents, Lord God, there are no accidents in your, in your economy. You are amazing. And then, Lord, you knew that we'd mess up. You knew that we'd go astray. You knew that we'd end up on opposite sides of the fence to you at enmity. And yet such was your love, such was your commitment and your passion for your people, Lord, that you enacted an amazing plan of salvation. Your son came when he didn't have to and died a horrible death in our place. We deserved death and we got life. Thank you so much, God. Lord, as we acknowledge your existence, as we receive, as we receive your forgiveness and become a part of your family, Lord, life begins to make sense. Lord, we can let go of trying so hard to get for ourselves what only you really can give us. We can rest and we can relax and we can, ref we can start not using and abusing people. We can look to you as our source and our supply and see you and honour you in everything we do. And Lord, that's our prayer. And as we worship today, I pray, Holy Spirit, you just continue as we sing, as we declare the truth of who you are. God, may you drive these things deeply into our hearts. God, that you would drive out maybe our inhibitions, that you would drive out any sense of unworthiness, you'd drive out any doubts, any worries, any fears, anything, God, that would hold us back, that we might give you our all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Port Life Church. If you have any questions, please email info at portlife.org.au. Have a great day.